0: Aspiration is not a bank. It's better than a bank. It's it's your concierge to match your values and your money. You can get banking accounts from Aspiration, but that's just one of many services that Aspiration provides. And the motivation is this. Every single day, we spend $36 billion as consumers in the United States. But we do very little to organize the power of that consumption to create a better world.
1: Hello friends, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast, where we believe that you have something or some things to give to the world that only you can give. You're a special person equipped uniquely to give a damn, and we're gonna help you find that kind of life. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and I'm so thrilled you're here. So, how are you? Like really, how are you? We are weeks into this COVID-19 pandemic, Many of you are able to stay home while many of you are on the front lines. You still have to go to work, the hospital, bank, grocery store, or whatnot. I'm thinking of you. I'm so grateful for you. We are so grateful for you. Regardless of whether you're not able to stay at home these days, I hope you are safe and healthy. April 22, which is tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day it releases April 21, is Earth Day. Earth Day. And this year marks the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, a day we set aside each year to show our support for the environment, our commitment to helping our planet become cleaner and healthier, and to discuss the different ways we are doing just that. Every day is Earth Day, let's be real, but it's nice that we take one day a year to really, really, really talk about it. And before I introduce my guest today, which was hand-picked for this Earth Day episode, I want to share something that we're doing at Let's Give a Damn to show our increasing commitment for the environment. On this Earth Day, and from here on out, each new follower on our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, will equal one tree planted. That's right. Every new follower and or fan, whatever you want to call it, will turn into a tree being planted. We will share more about our method and our partners soon, but we wanted to let you know that that's happening, especially on this day. So invite your friends to join Let's Give a Damn on social media. We are not friends. Um, if you know me, you know that at the end of the day, I don't give a shit about how the follower count. I know that we can do a lot even with the small numbers we have. This is not a ploy to get you to follow Let's Give a Damn so we can have bigger numbers. That's not it. But I wanted to put something unique in place, something special in place. I do want to give you an incentive to follow what we're doing. I believe we put out great content on this podcast and otherwise, and I want you to feel much better about following us and what we're doing by also your mere presence on our platform means that we have planted another tree. And honestly, I hope this blows up. Here's why. It's going to cause me to have to get very creative about paying for all of these trees that we need to plant. It's going to get done. We're going to document it carefully. It will get done, but I want this to exponentially grow our numbers and our reach so that we can do more good. So by merely clicking a button, you and your friends will help change the world. Pretty cool, huh? We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, but wanted to make you aware that we are doing just that. I hope you're as excited as I am about this. And as we do every single week, we're bringing a fantastic conversation uh, with a remarkable damn giver to you today. Joe Sandberg is my guest today. He is a serial entrepreneur, an investor, one of the leaders who helped bring the EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit, to California, and he is the co-founder of Aspiration. I left out so much of his bio in there. I picked a few things I wanted to point out. He is an amazing human. And as I stated, he is the co-founder of Aspiration. Aspiration is a bank, but not really. On their website, they state, we didn't set out to build a bank. We set out to build a better world. That could mean more money in your pocket and more power to do good in your hands. I am a customer, a happy customer. And I, this is not an ad. They're not paying me to do this. I really believe in it. And I think you'll believe in it once you hear from Joe today. I think at the end, many of you will be convinced to switch your banking needs over to Aspiration because through it and by it, you'll be able to do so much good in the world. They're an incredible company that has made it easy for you to change the world doing things you're already doing each and every day. You'll hear much more about that in our chat. Quick note before you listen, as you know, we are doing all of our chats remotely nowadays. Every once in a while, the audio gets a little bit shitty. It gets a little bit shaky, but that only lasts a few seconds. Hang in there because you won't wanna miss this conversation. I already respected Joe before this conversation, after, my respect grew a ton. He is a good dude and I can't wait for you to meet him. So let's get right into it. I'm Nick LaPara, this is Let's Give a Damn and here's my conversation with the wonderful Joe Sandberg. Joe Sandberg, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. We have, been, for me. Yeah, of course. We've been trying to, we've been sort of loosely trying to figure out a date and we were going to do this in person next time I was in LA, but now at least for the time being, all, all travel has been suspended, all unnecessary travel. And obviously podcasting is not essential. I think it is because I'm a podcaster, but um, we're going to stay put for the time being. So thanks for doing this virtually. We have yeah, you bet. so much to talk about. You give so many dams. Um, I, I, I think if I just read your bio, it would make 90% of the people listening feel lazy as fuck, but that's not the point. We're not going to make, we don't want to make people feel bad. You've just done a lot of cool things and I'm so excited to kind of flesh those out with you today. So if you're, if you're down to get going, let's jump right in. Sure. Yeah. Cool. So let's start with um your let's start with your story a little bit. Before we get into what you've become and who you, you know, who, who you've become and what you do and all that you've created. Give us a little framework for how you came to be who you are, right? Go back as far as you want to in your past and your story, but just share some of the kind of key people, places, and things that stick out that were very formative, uh, getting you up to your career. It's a lot of things we're gonna talk about today.
0: Well, I think I've always felt like an outsider. I grew up um, in a low-income family. My mom raised me by herself. My dad wasn't around. And um, in fact, we lost our home to foreclosure when I was a teenager. And I Mm. think from a young age, I always felt like um, my family and I were on the outside looking in. I think that also sparked me to try and stand up for other people who are also on the outside. So I've always had a really um, powerful streak of wanting to fight for others who have no voice. Um, my mom has all kinds of stories of my doing that, you know, as, as young as elementary school. And um, I think that's carried with me through adulthood. And you know, I feel a sense of outrage when I see injustice. And more than I can ever remember, more people are looking uh, in from the outside. And I think that's the great challenge of our time is is how do we bridge this divide between outsiders and a very small number of insiders for whom life is is great. And I think the pandemic is also casting light on that and showing people just how many Americans are on the outside who have no financial security for whom um, this period isn't a time to rest and be creative, but is a time of, of existential threat. And um, I think it's just energized me to fight even harder for all of those people that remind me of myself when I was a kid.
1: I've seen that common thread, Joe, what you you mentioned a couple seconds ago about I think there's a correlation, not always, obviously, we're not gonna talk in absolutes, but I think there's a correlation between people that grew up with less than, right? People that didn't grow up with all the things offered to them. You know, you said you guys lost your home, all those things. I have seen more times than not a correlation between those people and people that give a damn more often than not. Mm. I think it's, it's not impossible, but I think if you grow up in uh, wealth, in, you know, tons of privilege, it is harder to see how people are feeling and how they're living and kind of connect with them empathetically. Again, not to say that if you look back on the 130 plus guests that we've had on here, some of them were born into wealth and they came out okay. They came out as really amazing damn givers, people that care, that love their neighbor, are empathetic and all of that. But I think there is something there where you're able to connect. You know, you've you've had lots of successes since you were a child and so you're not in the same place you were then but you're able to very vividly connect the things that happened to you when you were younger and now you can feel it when you see it in other people. You know what that feels like. You know how horrible it feels like to not have money, to not be able to pay the bills, to not have a home, to not have healthcare, all those things. You know what it feels like and so you're able to say, I really, really, really want to help with uh, these things, um, and that's—I think—that's really key. So, tell, tell me before we get into a lot more of that. Tell me about your your family, parents, siblings. Like, what kind? What was th- what was that like? I know you you said that your mom was able to like look see you become a damn giver from a very young age, but what was that household uh, growing up like? Was there love? Was there was there a lot of you know uh, caring for people, loving people, giving a damn in your household? Well, very much for my mom. My mom cares
0: deeply about helping others. And even at the times when our family was most struggling, she was always turning my brother and my attention towards what we can do for others in need. I think my mom's parents um, also reflected those values and instilled that in me. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of love for my mom and my um, grandparents on my mom's side when I was growing up. And I think is a testament to how good a job my mom did. I didn't realize how little we had until I was an adult.
1: Mm, um, which I yeah. think
0: is think, um, a great... Great compliment of her.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. So, are you a are you a California native? Has California always been uh, your home?
0: Yeah. So, I grew up in Orange County near Disneyland, and um,
1: you know, my um,
0: my roots are here.
1: Got it. Good. Um, I love I love L.A. I'm not a huge fan of California as a whole. Uh, I grew up in Guatemala, and then spent a lot of years traveling the world. And then, our favorite place that we've ever lived is uh Pacific Northwest. We lived just south of Seattle for a few years. And so the the constant where most people are seeking to get sun shine all the time. Uh it, it, that's just not me. I mean, I don't mind it. It's not like I hate the sunshine, but I prefer a good like rainy day, um, you know, good good amount of overcast. So, but I do love LA is such a wonderful place, man. Um, we've thought long and hard many times and it still might happen in the future about making that home for a bit. Uh for one, being a, being a a, coming from Latin America, my dad was an immigrant and um, then living there for 10 years in Guatemala. Like, I mean, there are parts of LA that feel very, very, very like driving through, you know, a, a city in Guatemala or a city in Mexico or whatever. I mean, it just feels very much at home and the people are wonderful. A lot of creative, amazing things happening there, including the projects and companies you've worked on. So um, let's talk about politics for a little bit before we get into, I want to get into the stuff you've created, the stuff you've made, which actually a lot of it ties into politics. And then we'll, we'll kind of like make the pinnacle of this conversation about Aspiration, a company that I, I that you've co-founded and that I love. Uh, But we'll make that a little bit further into the conversation. So you, there's no secret if someone looks at your Instagram profile that you are, you know, among other things, you were a big fan of, not only Bernie Sanders is a man, but Bernie Sanders, his, his policies, the things that he put forth. You're obviously a progressive thinker, a progressive entrepreneur, a progressive human. Um, and so tell me about some of the issues. Seems like healthcare, income inequality, the climate crisis are obviously big issues for you. How did those, if those are not the only issues, please add on to them, but how did those issues and possibly others become the issues for you? Like what Were, were there certain things that happened in your life that caused you again you well i guess we could we could look at the income inequality and stuff like that for you know growing growing up and some of the things you probably went without but why have these issues become the things that you are giving your lifetime and attention to well i don't think about it as a political philosophy rather i think
0: about it as trying to help everyone have life's basic needs so my strong conviction that everyone should have health insurance and healthcare doesn't strike me as something that ought to be a political question it, it seems rather just the golden rule of what we're taught why why wouldn't everyone have health care why wouldn't everyone have food and shelter and education um, and so well i know that these views are identified as progressive it's always puzzled me that um, they're politicized it, they seem like basic human rights yep climate change for example What is political about wanting us to have a planet that we can, as a species, inhabit? And another factor of climate change that I think we need to discuss more is um, related to pandemics. One of the scary parts of climate change that isn't often enough discussed is as the permafrost of the Antarctic melts. Viruses that have been dormant for tens of thousands, in some cases millions of years, are going to be released. Yeah. And some of those viruses could make COVID look like a pimple. So, should we do everything we can to make sure that our species isn't wiped out by a virus that's been frozen for a million years? That doesn't strike me as a political question. It strikes me as a basic question of human rights and, and, and survival.
1: Yeah, you, uh, you, you talk about you talked about climate change, and that's been an interesting one for me. Again, I told I'm, I'm a thousand percent on board with you. I use kind of some of the names and identifiers that we put on them, progressive, liberal, whatever. But I agree with you a thousand percent. I long every single day for a society that not just looks out for the good of their own good, but for the good of all people, because that is that is that is the ultimate good. I just I was just talking with one of my friends. Um, I love this guy. We fundamentally disagree on it seems like 80% of, of all things in life. But we were talking today on Twitter and he was. Kind of congratulating or, or, you know, giving approval to all of these these marches and protests that are happening right now, right? President Trump over the weekend said, "Liberate Michigan, liberate, liberate all these different states," and now they're out protesting all weekend, right? And not not uh, adhering to physical distancing, you know, uh, guidelines, CDC, nothing, and um, and he was saying he was congratulating them as like, this is this is a, their, their right to be able to do this, and that's a good thing. And he, you know, brought up things like, you know, rights and freedom and all that. And, and, and the idea that freedom means we can do whatever the hell we want is so mind-boggling to me. It's so mind-boggling that we would think that freedom means I can just do whatever I want, no matter the consequences, right?
0: Well, let's, let's be real. When they're talking about freedom, what they're talking about is freedom so that white Christian men can do whatever they want. Yes.
1: No, no, no pushback there. I mean, it's, it's, you
0: know, it's, it's all race baiting. Like it's not freedom for everyone to do whatever they want. It's not freedom for women to have dominion over their bodies. It's not freedom for people of color to be able to start businesses and save for their retirements in the same way as everyone else. It's specifically freedom for white Christian men to do whatever they want.
1: Yes, and we we've seen that time and time again, Joe, since, you know, 2015, 2016. Um, and 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 I I my pushback to him was, "Bro, that's not freedom." And he identifies as a Christian, I identify as a Christian as well. Jesus said, you know, it was it it was said in the Bible that he came to give us freedom. He came to set us free. Well, obviously no Christian, no Christian, no religious person would say that that freedom means we can do whatever we want. I mean, first of all, there's tons of rules and regulations, right? That we have to work through and say, which ones are for today? And we have to, we have to, you know, we have to think through all of that. But on top of that, we're called to so many things like love your neighbor, love God, like be kind. You got these fruits of the spirit in the Bible, right? And so nobody that identifies uh, really any religion almost, but especially a Christian would say that freedom means we can do whatever we want. That all, well, of that's course,
0: it. I mean, the irony is, is for these white Christian men, Who are carrying assault weapons to the state capitol, they're living the opposite of the ideals of Christianity. Because Jesus came to set people free from hunger, from material want, from spiritual slavery and physical slavery. So, are people free when they don't have health care? Are people free when they're homeless? Are people free when they're hungry? Are people free when they're waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, wondering how they're going to pay a couple of bills? So, again, we talk about freedoms. When it's expressed by the Trumpists and they're usually talking about what I'd call freedoms from, but they don't talk about freedoms to Mm. freedoms to live fully human freedoms to, to be able to pursue the dream of starting a family. You know, the Republicans are pro birth, but they aren't actually pro life. No, they want kids to be born, but they don't want to have
1: public policies that allow for people to live. Exactly. I mean, that's a very important distinction between the yeah pro life and pro choice. It's actually it's actually pro choice or anti-abortion, right? Because there's there's so many other policies that point to, and we've talked about that a ton, so we don't have to belabor that. But so many so many policies, so many ideas, so many words that tell us how not pro life they are. Because they're yeah. thinking, and they, I
0: think one of the terrible things that's happened in the last forty years is how Christianity has been co opted by a right-wing, misogynistic, xenophobic, racist agenda in the United States. For most of American history, um, the questions of faith were part of um, progressivism. It's very recent that it's been the right-wing that's taken on the language of faith. And I think it's tragic. They've bastardized it. For me, my faith um, is really important to why I believe so much in social justice. You know, I've had the privilege of studying Christianity and Islam and the threat across all of these religions is essentially treat others well and help those who are in need. And it's just really so sad to see how um, religion has been used to hurt people and, and, and very little um, you know of the spirit of the true religiosity comes through and how it's expressed today. You know if we're actually living the ideals of Christianity, uh, Islam and Judaism. We would have, you know, so much less poverty, universal health care.
1: Well, one of the things that's so interesting, and I totally agree with you. One of the things interesting is that people forget that if my, if I, if I bang, if I hit a hammer on my thumb, right, if I'm trying to nail something in and I hit something, does just my thumb hurt or does my whole entire body hurt? The whole body hurts. If I have a headache, if I have, if something happened, if I have a stomach ache, my whole body feels it. And that's the missing piece that I think so many of these freedom fighters, so many of these people that think freedom means I can do whatever I want, regardless of the consequences, is that they are forgetting that when my neighbor across the street, across my city, across my state, or across the country is hurting, that hurts me that hurts me. It hurts me and my kids and our kids and their kids in the long term, because if we don't have a system where not just equality, but equity, right? Those are two different things that we're experiencing now. There's equality and there's equity where not just everybody gets a fair shot, but then we have to figure out that we have to realize that there there are so many socioeconomic and different barriers that even prevent black and brown people from getting a fair shot. So equality is everybody gets a fair shot. But we need way past that. We need equity. We need to erase redlining in cities. We need to have reparations. There are different things we have to do so that we can start again from an even playing field. Then then, we've, then we're working with something. Then we've, then we've got a, a, a society where everyone is heard, but we're so far from that. And it doesn't seem, you know, some days I'm very hopeful and optimistic and other days I'm like, shit, like we're gonna get four years of this. We're we're about to get four years of this where we're gonna have to fight that much harder for anything and everything we wanna do to help people because they're gonna only be, I mean, they got bold and, and a lot of the they are my friends. I I I love them and I I I don't I don't hate any of them. But the they are gonna become even more emboldened in November if they if they win. Because the first time was like a fluke, like nobody expected that. The second time they're gonna think, oh, we're on to something. Like yeah. we're actually, we're actually heading in the right direction. And I'm like, no, that just me. you just showed us over the last three years, how fucked up we are and how much work we have to do. Right. Yes. Um, so yeah. So healthcare is a big one for you. Uh, 9.2 as of, this is as of last week, 9.2 million Americans have lost their employee, uh, you know, their health healthcare from their employer. That is an astronomical amount of people that now don't have, I mean their their health insurance was probably shitty before, right? Like it was probably uh, unhelpful, high premiums, high deductibles, the whole thing. I mean, I have I've always had pretty good health care and I'm still paying off uh health bills from 2 years ago from being in the ER for 2 hours. 2 hours in the ER and I'm still paying off that bill today and I have good health care. And so talk about Healthcare. Talk about why you why you supported. You know, obviously Bernie Sanders, and I'm sure others that also espouse this this uh, belief and this idea. But why is it important, Joe, for everybody? Why is it important for the government to step in and help us get some sort of a universal healthcare? Because a lot of people that are anti-government or anti, we don't want the government to take more from us. And I I kind of get that. Like I don't trust them. I do, and I don't trust them. There are people that can't be trusted. And so it's like, it's kind of a weird poll where it's like, I believe everybody should have healthcare. That is a human right. If you don't have health, you have nothing. But at the same time, there's this this poll where it's like, well, there are a million and one examples where they, they being the government, they being our our, our elected leaders, aren't, they time and time again, don't do things in our best interest. So how can we trust them to give us this, what we think is a basic human fundamental right, uh, universal healthcare.
0: Well, first of all, we need to understand what single-payer health insurance in the United States does and does not mean. Medicare for all or single-payer health insurance does not mean government-run hospitals. It does not mean government-run doctor's offices. The only thing that changes in a single-payer system in the United States is who pays. Does your health insurance company pay or does the government pay? So presently, we all collectively pay money to our health insurance companies, and then they pay for our doctor's costs. And a lot of people can't afford that health insurance. And for those who do get it, it's usually tied to their employers. And so the people who are paying health insurance companies right now are primarily small and medium sized businesses and individuals. If we switch, when we switch to a single payer system, Medicare for all, the only thing that changes is instead of your employer paying your doctor through your health insurance, or you paying your doctor through your health insurance, Medicare is going to pay your doctor. And yes, businesses are going to have higher taxes to fund Medicare and we're going to have higher taxes to fund Medicare for everyone, but we're not going to have the cost every month of paying for our health insurance. And so the net net is that we'll be paying less money for health insurance, not more money, and everyone will have it. One of the totally spurious, um, you know, lies that I think is told is when some people just talk about your taxes going up, but don't talk about your savings. Right? If you have twenty dollars more take-home pay every month, it doesn't really matter how you ended up with twenty dollars sure. more, right? So if you ended up paying um, $25 more in taxes, but you got $40 in benefits, $45 in benefits, and you ended up with $20 ahead, it, it doesn't matter, right? You're better yeah. off. And so that's what's going to happen when we have single-payer health insurance is that you're going to pay a little bit more in taxes, but you're not going to pay anything in health insurance premium. And you, your doctor will still be the same. Your, the hospitals are run by private companies. There's examples of a single-payer system in other parts of the government. So this is not an untested front. Right. The biggest example of a single payer system is the military. Mm. The military is a single payer system. We have thousands of independent contractors and weapons manufacturers, and you know, think about everything that goes into equipping the military, the food that the military buys, um, you know, the clothing, all the transportation, everything involved with supporting the United States military involves. Thousands of individual suppliers, maybe tens of thousands of suppliers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're all paid by a single payer, which is the government. But the government isn't out there making the food that our soldiers eat. Right. The government isn't making the clothes our soldiers wear. The government isn't literally itself building the airplanes. Rather, the government pays private companies to do that. Similarly, with Medicare for all, the government isn't going to be hiring the person who checks your temperature but rather is going to be paying all the private businesses that are currently doing that. So anyone who tells you that you can't have a thriving for-profit sector in the medical industry when you have Medicare for All doesn't need to look any further than the military-industrial complex. Wh- whatever one feels about the amount of spending we do on the military, one can't deny right. the following two facts. The following two things are true. First of all, the military is a single payer. everything's paid by the government. And second of all, there's lots and lots and lots of profits in serving the military. And one of the concerns about single-payer health insurance is that you won't be incenting innovation and you know, doctors won't make enough money to justify their going to medical school. Well, there's nothing about a single-payer system, when you look at the military as an example, that says there can't be lots of profits.
1: Yeah, that's super helpful, and I, I, I'm not actually sure that I've heard anyone compare it to, I mean, I've, I've heard lots of great arguments. I'm totally bought in. Like I don't need any convincing, but I don't know that I've heard anyone really compare it to the military like that. Like that totally makes, I don't know that anyone would have, here's why no one would have a counter argument to that. Cause most of the people that oppose, <clears throat> I might get into deep water here, deep shit with some of the people listening, but I would venture to say most people that oppose a single payer healthcare system are pretty pro military And so just pointing, just because of a lot of the worldviews that, you know, that align when that, when those sorts of conversations happen, I can't imagine many of them uh, pushing back on that point. And here's the other thing too, with, with universal healthcare, I think we're, I don't think most people think about how much stress we are under because of healthcare costs, right? Not knowing, I mean, I mean, I personally know right now I could, I could name 10, 12 people in my life, I'm one American, I could name 10 to 12 people that have something wrong with them right now that should get looked at. They have health insurance, every single one of them. None of them will go because they don't, they are unsure who's paying for what, how, you know, yeah, how how long, who's, who's gonna take care of it, how long it's gonna take, the whole thing. There's just so many unknowns about it. My brother went, like, he went to the hospital last year for this, like, for this uh, this like pain in his stomach or whatever. He never even saw a doctor. He only saw nurses, and they never prescribed him anything. He walked out of there with a $4,000 bill. He was there for an hour and a half, never saw a doctor, never got, they prescribed some over-the-counter medicine for him, and it was $4,000 for an hour and a half. Like, the stress, and my brother, I, God love him, He's he's my best friend, but he has so, that caused him so much anxiety and stress. Yes. N- and now we have we have Americans and I, I'm not opposed to people helping other people, but we have the biggest, the biggest healthcare platform out there uh for for money wise is GoFundMe, right? I go have I go have a surgery and I have to hope, cross my fingers, pray to God that a thousand people will jump in at five dollars a piece to help me pay for my surgery. Otherwise, I'm fucked. Like I can't I don't it's, have that money.
0: It is such a condemnation about American society that so many people have to rely on GoFundMe. It, it's totally bullshit. This is the richest country in the history of the, of the world. We can clearly afford anything we want as our response to COVID has demonstrated. Yep. And we're leaving millions of Americans to rely on GoFundMe. It's out-fucking-rageous. It yeah. is outrageous. Yeah. Well, and you, you brought the military, This is why I think right? the, health, the healthcare issue is the number one. Is... Inequality of different kinds um, have different implications. If, If some people are going to get to drive a Chevy Corvette and other people have to take public transportation, I think we can be okay with that. Sure. But it should not be that how much money you have determines whether you live or die. I don't care what you call it, free market, whatever name you want to put on it. This isn't academic, this is real life. And we have to ask, what kind of society do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a society where how much money you have determines how long you live or not? And you can put whatever label you want on it. But I think for most Americans, we do not want to live in a country where if you're poorer, you die younger than if you're richer. But that's exactly the country we have right now. The richer you are, the healthier you'll be, the longer you'll live.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know, one of the conversations that actually that obviously happens a lot is socialism versus capitalism, right? And I actually don't have uh tons of issues with capitalism. Here's the problem is that 99 I'm just throwing out a percentage that I think is true, 99% of the capitalism that's being deployed from the government all the way down is crony capitalism. So capitalism only works Capitalism only works best again. Going back to the freedom conversation, freedom is not doing whatever the hell you want. Freedom is when you do the best thing for you and for other people. That's true freedom. The same thing with capitalism, like the whole conscious capitalism movement. You know that was started by you know the likes of Patagonia and Whole Foods and things like that. You know back in the day, like that's the only kind of capitalism that that works because it's a, it's a also, capitalism.
0: What- capitalism for whom? We have capitalism. Um, you're on your own, free market. Economics for those who are middle class and poor, and we have socialism for rich corporations. And we've always had a mixed economy. This idea there's never in the history of the world been like a a pure capitalism. You got some things that are socialistic, some things that are free market. Our problem right now is that if you're a rich company, you get bailed out. And if you're anyone else, you're on your own. We just saw that, didn't we? Finally, like who cares the label is? Yeah. It's a question of more deeply, what kind of society do you want? Do you want to live in a society where People die because they're too poor, or do you want to live in a society where we have basic human rights like healthcare?
1: I mean, we're we're seeing that right now, aren't we, Joe? With this, uh, you know, with this stimulus package and with these loans going out to to different companies, right? I know probably fifty of my friends applied for PPP uh, loans and the you know the different options that were offered. Not one of them heard back. Not a one. But then we have Ruth's Chris that got twenty million dollars. Right, this is yeah. a company that profits 40 million dollars a year. It's a publicly traded fucking company. They got 20 million. And you know, the other example that was being thrown out all over this past weekend was Shake Shack, right? They got 10 million. Thankfully, the founders of Shake Shack returned that money. They, you know, at least from what I saw, they secured more funding from investors and were able to return the money. That's fine. You shouldn't have taken it in the first place, but I'm glad you gave the 10 million back. But that's not the point. The point is that these companies like Ruth's Chris that have money influence there they they're able to get better lawyers they're able to write better applications whatever the case may be they got millions of dollars in my friends who make great shit right whatever whether, whether it's video production or or they're an artist or a musician or a, they make physical products not one of them heard back not a one none of them got it and that, again going back to we've there is socialism for corporations there's socialism for the rich and it's it's crony capitalism from the middle class all the way down, we're in, we're not able to. I mean, the farmers got the bailout, you know. Last when 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 President Trump, you know, did the whole taxes on China thing last year. What did he do to fix what was happening here in the country? They bailed out farmers. That like 18, that's socialism. If you when you're able to write those blank checks, then socialism's okay from the top. But then for everybody else, well, you got to make it work. If you didn't, if you didn't, if you don't have a rainy day fund, that's on you right? Like you got to figure it out and we'll throw you $1,200. We'll throw you 12, 1200 bones to like get by. For, I mean, Steve Mnuchin literally implied in one of his interviews that 1200 should be good for now. Like literally said, like he implied that that should be good for a few weeks where most people's rent isn't 1200 bucks or their mortgage payment. Like it's I'm more than kidding. that. Then you're not counting, you're not counting, you know, any bills that are out there. The credit card companies are still collecting. The, the you know, insurance is still collecting. Uh, utilities are still collecting. So the 1200 was gone before, the 1200 was spent before people even got it, right? That's the reality is that that money was gone before people even got it. Um, it's wild, man, it's wild. Let's, uh, you recently said, so you you live in California, a state that I think, and I, I could be wrong, uh, you probably have better insight, but I think you would agree that um, I think Gavin Newsom has been doing a, a pretty bang up job with, yes. you know, th- through through this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, more specifically, I think Eric Garcetti has been doing a bang up job, uh, way better than the, the, your counterpart city on the East Coast who, you know, just Messed up for weeks and weeks and weeks before getting it right or for getting it, you know, better. Um, but you recently said you congratulated Gavin Newsom for uh, his uh, his appointing of Tom Steyer to lead California's economic recovery panel. I actually liked. I never thought he had a chance in the world, but I liked Tom Steyer during the whole, you know, when he was running for president. Again, I was like, so many things about this guy are compelling. He just doesn't have a chance. But like, why do you think that was a good idea? And what, and and what what could other states learned from what Gavin Newsom and other California leaders are doing right now to help people through this pandemic?
0: Well, Tom was a great choice because he has both the experience of working in the private sector as well as the commitment to building an economy where communities that have otherwise been on the margins are centered. We can't just build what we had. We have to build something new and better. And so this is our opportunity to invest in green jobs. In communities with businesses led by women and people of color that otherwise haven't gotten the capital that they deserve, and so his commitment to that is really profound. So he brings the combination of a commitment and expertise. And I, I thought it was an inspired choice by Governor Newsom.
1: Awesome, yeah, I I totally agree. I think um, the the expertise part is really key. My, my conversation, my last podcast was with Joel Stein, who also lives in L.A. He wrote a book wonderful book called In Defense of Elitism. And the elitism that he's talking about is not boat elitism, what he calls boat elitism, which is people that are rich elites that care about money, but intellectual elitists, people that are experts, right? It's people that don't, you know, boat elite or kind of populist, common people trust their gut and intellectual elites trust experts, right? And I think that's, we've seen a lot of that in the last three years different appointments right in the federal government where we're like, you have no expertise in this. How are you going to, here's the one thing I want to say
0: though, Yeah, go for because it. I think that unfortunately we've been oscillating between what I'd call the cult of expertise and um, the cult of anti-intellectualism. Right. But, but we do need to find a midpoint and there is a lot of merit towards skepticism of the cult of expertise. Because remember, a lot of these same so called experts were those who told us Iraq had weapons of mass destruction.
1: Fair enough, yeah.
0: A lot of these same, and a lot of those same experts, they were Republicans and Democrats who said there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, said that house prices could never fall leading up to the financial crisis, said Donald Trump could never be elected president. So, I think we need to have skepticism of both ends of the spectrum. Experts aren't infallible and facts do matter. But I'm empathetic to why there's a lot of skepticism of the so-called intellectual expertise, um, because that expertise itself fell massively on its face in three humongous recent historic examples. The Iraq war, the great financial crisis when they said that house prices could never fall, and the election of Donald Trump. So I think I understand Joel's point with the book, but I think we also need to be empathetic about why we're living in a moment where more people than usual are very skeptical of the so-called experts.
1: Here's, can I give you my theory on why this? Yeah. Why, so here's my theory. And I, I think this ties it together personally as someone who has been in, I've been in various leadership positions for about twenty years, um, from a young age, I was thrust even before I should have been in leadership positions. I was thrust in, and I think I've learned. I mean, I know I've learned a ton over the years. And the the, the reason that I think the skepticism would go, so you pointed out some really key moments, right? The Iraq War, right? Like we fucked up there, right? And there were there are. I mean, 2016 election. the way, totally.
0: Nick, just let's, let's take it back. Is the same category of experts who sent us into the Vietnam War?
1: Yes. Just saying. So so do you think? So do you think here's what I think fixes that experts, leaders, uh intellectual elites that know how to lead humbly and that know how to apologize, right? That to me is one of the missing ingredients. It doesn't fix, it doesn't fix the whole thing. Apologizing and being humble on the back end didn't fix the hundreds of thousands of people that have died because of the Iraq war, right? So I'm not saying it fixes everything. But I think a lot of the skepticism goes away when you are a leader that is an expert in a certain area, whatever it is, you know, whether it's, you know, medicine or e- economics or politics or whatever. If, first of all, one thing that Joel, I asked him to make a, it wasn't anything important, but I asked him to make a prediction on the podcast. I asked him two things, two things. One was make a prediction and one was give advice. Those are two things in our conversation and they they fit in the context. He refused to do both. He's like, I don't give advice. Like, be, in, 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 and then he said, I don't, I also don't make predictions. Like that's stupid. And so I think there, what there is a, I totally agree with you. And I think a lot of the skepticism is valid, but I also think there'd be fewer skeptics out there. If people that did have expertise approached anything they're talking about with humility and ready to apologize ready to bring in other experts when they fail. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, I I totally agree with the with the criticism. And I think that's why he wrote the book. A lot of it's tongue in cheek. It's very funny. He makes fun of himself, you know, all throughout. He makes fun of all of the intellectual elites in there. But I, I love the point that I think we are living in a society where people just trust their gut, right? I mean, go look at some of the signs that were made at these protests this last weekend. I mean, just a bunch of nonsense on them. It's all these people that are like, we should get back to work. Why? Because my gut's telling me to. But you, you need to listen to actual scientists and actual meta, you know doctors and stuff. And so a lot of that skepticism is, is founded, and a lot of it's unfounded. But I think a lot of it would be curbed if there were but just actually, humbler leaders. There's a, leaders. Common, thread. There's a okay.
0: common thread across the skepticism right now back to the Iraq war, back to Vietnam, which is the people, the so-called experts who said there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, Sure, their kids didn't go to war. The so-called experts who are saying we have to stay at home, right, they're generally people who have savings so that they can financially withstand staying at home. Now, to be clear, I think we need to stay at home and the government should support people's incomes. But we have to acknowledge the gap between what's at stake for these so-called experts and what's at stake for the skeptics of the experts, you know, I, I wonder, continue to wonder, and this is like very controversial, but w- would our foreign policy be a lot better off if we had a military draft so that when we went to war, you know, the burden was shared equally across rich, wow. middle-income, and poor families? Think about it. It's, it's since we yeah, had a
1: voluntary a fascinating military, idea.
0: military that we've gotten to these, like it's really been since we had, a, you know, a voluntary military and let's be real, a mercenary military, right? Because a yep. lot of people have to join the military because they have no other economic choice. Yep. And, um, you know, I honor their courage, but you shouldn't have to choose the military because you need money. Yeah. Um, and before that was the case, you know, we didn't get into as many, you know, stupid wars, but after world war two, you know, Vietnam and obviously the biggest example is the Iraq war.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sorry you cut off there for a second. So I think, no, I, think, I, just, I, think I, I got think, everything. You know,
0: but it goes back to the you know the economic thing,
1: yep. right? If we were
0: providing people wage support, so yep. that when we told people to stay at home, their incomes weren't threatened, yeah, that would be a whole different case. Yeah, but we can't deny the reality that we have a lot of intellectual elites in the government telling people to stay home, but we're not giving them money to offset their lost wages. Yeah. It's not a a fucking joke. I mean, how can you actually tell people to stay home but not give them money to compensate for their work? There's actually a constitutional argument, you know, the whole idea of eminent domain in the Constitution, which is theoretically the government can take your property through due process, but it has to give you fair compensation. Well, shouldn't that also apply to the idea of your unit of labor? If the government, if the government, Is going to tell you you cannot monetize your unit of labor doesn't it also have a constitutional obligation to compensate you for that unit of labor that it's not allowing you to monetize i would argue in the same way that the government has to compensate you when it takes its land for development the government should have to compensate every worker it's telling can't work and if we were
1: doing that i think you'd have fewer people protesting oh totally i i totally agree i think. You know, my problem with the protests is not that they're not pissed off and not that they don't need to get back to work. My problem is they're not respecting social distancing and they're being generally I mean, you're seeing you're seeing some really mixed messages, right? It's not just about getting back to work it's about a lot of things right you see a lot of trump 2020 flags you see a lot of like they're bringing stuff about abortion into it it's like no no no. you're trying to you're trying to you know so that's my problem but it's i totally gave agree this is
0: more time than you deserve yeah. these are like small portion of people that's the true People though i'm empathetic of though are the millions of people who are told you can't go to work but they don't have any income
1: yeah yeah i had uh i, ha- I have a guy uh you know, with Let's Give a Damn, we've been helping people out through money and through different things, right, through my company. And I had a guy hit me up yesterday. He asked me for grocery money um, probably a month ago. And then he hit me up again. And he sa- he just asked for $25 more. And, he you know, he sent me a Venmo request. And I was like, you know, I, I gave it to him. But I said, hey, like, have you filed for unemployment? Like, how, how is that going? Like, there are things out there. Like, you lost your job because of COVID-19. And he goes, dude, I applied a month ago. Like, I haven't heard anything. So here's a guy who, like, is doing everything right. And so you're totally right that the government, I think it's the right decision to stay home if you can, 100%. No ifs, ands, ands and buts about it. But you're so right in that if we're going to ask people to do that, we need to also, we, they can't die and rot in their homes, right? Like, Well, Nick, the people, let's be real. It's, we're doing more than asking them. We're, 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 we're demanding them. them. Yeah, we're demanding yeah. them. Yeah, and that, and then we make fun of them if they go out to try to, to try to get back to work, right? I mean, yeah. I have yeah, I have I have friends that are still working in the hospitality industry doing like curbside stuff and whatever. And I have friends that have like this is not essential. We need, you know, they need to be they need to stay home and, you know, restaurants aren't essential. I'm like, "No, no, no, but again, let me point let me let me let me hook you up with all my friends." that have tried to get unemployment can't get it they have no savings they work as a barista yep. like if they don't go to work there's no way for that you know their parents can't send them money like they are dead in the water like actually like you can't live without money everything costs money and so it's a it's a time of like a lot of like um there's a lot of struggle trying to figure out what's the best way and how do we serve people best but i can say that we are doing it wrong right like the the way that we've done it is not, it's not right, it's not right, it's not helpful, it's not loving, Um, and it's definitely not something you'd expect from the, you know, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, right, and not not just one of the wealthiest countries in the world, but the one that touts it the most, you know, the other wealthy countries, like, don't have to every single day during a press conference or on Twitter or somehow say we're the best, right, so if you say you are the best, act like the best and treat your people the best, right, but we're not seeing that, you know, that's very, very clear. Um, okay. So let's talk about some of the other stuff you've done. Cause I, I want to get to, I want, again, I want to move swiftly toward a- talking about aspiration again, a company that I love, but you've also, you've been, you've been, uh, kind of a critical leader in a few different things as well. You were one of the nation's leading advocates, uh, for the earned income tax credit, right? Which for yes. most people probably know this, but it's a tax credit earned. It's a refundable tax credit for low to moderate income families, um, that, yeah that need it so why again i think the, the question is not why were you involved in that but like how did you get involved in that and what was your leadership in that and even when the when uh your state didn't uh allocate enough money for outreach you or you created I i don't know if it's a group or a nonprofit that helped families get that um eitc so uh, yes. tell me about that well my my
0: motivation for it is I think everyone who works right. should be able to afford life's basic needs. And in California, I was stunned when I learned that Calif- we, we didn't have an earned income tax credit for our state. So I organized a lobbying campaign to get the state to create an earned income tax credit. But when it passed and was signed by the governor, there weren't any monies to go tell people about it. One of the parts about public policy I've learned that people take for granted is that it doesn't end when you pass the bill into law then you got to go implement it.
1: That's a huge insight. Passing the
0: bill into law is like having a business plan. Sure. But you don't have a business plan until you execute on the business plan. So taking the earned income tax credit as an example, you only get the EITC if you file a tax return. So what happens to millions of people who don't file a tax return? They don't get the money and then the program doesn't work. So I started a nonprofit called Golden State Opportunity to make sure that everyone who's eligible would get the earned income tax credit and in the last five years, we've served about four million people with you know about seven eight billion dollars of VITC.
1: That's amazing. Thanks. That's amazing. That really is. I mean, and so are there other states that you hope like has this caused other states to pay attention or? Well, California was was behind. Uh,
0: there are twenty six other states that have an earned income tax credit. So now the the charge is how do we get states to increase their earned income tax credit?
1: Yeah, so 26. I mean, that still leaves uh quite a few, uh 24 to be precise that don't have it. Uh why is this why are there so many states? I mean, they obviously know about it, right? If 26 states have something that important, the other 24 know about it. So why do you think they haven't implemented it? Is it just is it is it a is it a financial decision? It is a they don't see the need for it.
0: Well, some states don't have income taxes, and those states sure. then don't have the revenue base to do it. Other states have very, very, very low tax rates, and therefore don't have the revenue base to do it. And um, you know, you could imagine that states that are more governed by Democrats are more likely to have an earned income tax credit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one of the reasons that I think this worked out perfect for us today, again, even though we wanted to do this in person, actually, I was supposed to be in LA n- n- later this month, so it could have could have worked out around the same time anyway. But Earth Day is April 22. So this pot today is April 20. We're releasing this on April 21. The day after this podcast releases is Earth Day, right? An important day for us to highlight, for us to advocate for our Earth, our one home, the only one we get, the one that we are not treating very well right now. And also, I, I wanna point out, because this has been a cool thing for me, is I think coming out of this pandemic, we're gonna have a shit ton of data to go through, right? where our our earth is getting a breather right now. Mother earth is getting a breather. We're seeing, you know, there's talking about the cities in India that are seeing the Himalayas for the first time because there's no pollution. I mean, I've seen pictures of LA with less pollution over it. We've seen, you know, dolphins come back to, you know, uh, canals in Venice, like crazy shit that just is, I mean, literally I've been brought to tears over some of this because I'm like, no other way. There's no other, we've been advocating for this for years, right? Big, I mean, just it's crystal clear that we need to take care of our planet and people just don't do it. Right. And I don't, I don't say all people just, you know, a lot of people don't do it. And so now our earth through this pandemic has been forced to chill out for a little bit, right? Millions and millions of cars off the road every single day. And there's a, there's a ton of ramifications for that. I even saw something from California where, uh the state of California, maybe it was the city of LA, but at least in the state of California is spending 40 million dollars less a day because of car crap because lack of car crashes. like so that's amazing. We're not going to talk about car crashes, but that's it, you know a, a really cool ramification of not driving, right. But Earth Day, and you started your latest kind of venture, your latest company, well, maybe it's not your latest, but the one that I know about this latest is a bank called Aspiration Bank couple things why would you start a bank um second of all how did you start a bank uh because that seems daunting like I don't even I wouldn't even know where to start like what were, what was the impetus I think it'll be obvious when you share the mission and the vision of aspiration but what what, what was the impetus behind hey co-founder and I let's go start a bank well
0: aspiration is not a bank it's better than a bank it's it's your concierge to match your values and your money you can get banking accounts from Aspiration, but that's just one of many services that Aspiration provides. And the motivation is this. Every single day, we spend $36 billion as consumers in the United States, but we do very little to organize the power of that consumption to create a better world. And so the founding vision of, of, of mine and my co-founder, Andre Cherny, who's our CEO, is what if we can deliver people the financial services that they have to have anyways, you have to have a banking account in a way that delivers you great financial features and makes it easy to use your money to do good in the world. The best example of that is an initiative aspiration recently launched called Plant Your Change, where if you as a banking account customer are enrolled in Plant Your Change, every time you use your aspiration debit card to make a purchase, Aspiration plants a tree with your spare change. And so as a result, the aspiration community is on track to literally plant hundreds of millions of trees that will fight climate change over the next couple of years. And as the community grows, that could be billions of trees over the next couple of years, doing it in a way that's super convenient for people. And that's, I think, another part of the premise is, if you make it easy for people to do the right thing, most will. So again, you have to have a bank account? you have to have a debit card. Why not integrate into that debit card the ability for you to apply your spare change every time you buy something to plant a tree?
1: Yeah. Uh, dude, I, I so believe with what you just said a few seconds ago because I believe that people are good. I believe, I, yes. really, I really do. I, I grew up in a theological world that told me that people were evil, that people are bad from the, off, from the onset and that, that they have to be trained to be good. I'm not saying, like, there's still some bad people out there. No, like, no argument there. But that is all learned, taught. That's from abuse. That's from trauma. That's from bad mentorship, bad parents, bad family. Like, that's all, like, an afterthought. Like, but people are, people want to do good in other ways, in other words. Yes, agreed. And you said, you said, people want to do good. We're just showing, we're just giving them, we're we're making it easy for them to do that. Dude, I have found that so much in the last three years with Let's Give a Damn. That's why I started it was I would hear all these people say, I want to do good. I want to be good. I want to have an impact in the world. And people just don't know where to fucking start. They don't yes, know how exactly. to do it. And, and the people's lives are
0: busy. They're you busy. Know, you can't, you got to make it easy for people.
1: Yeah. And you guys have done that. I mean, down to the, I mean, everything from, I mean, if you, if, for many of you, you probably don't get the aspiration emails right now and you should, and you will. Cause I'm going to, you should, you should go um, to
0: aspiration.com
1: and sign up. Aspiration.com and sign up. I mean, seriously though, people like. A lot of banks, you sign up and they'll give you, like so many of these rewards, right, for credit cards and banking accounts, right? It's like everything from like 10% off at Starbucks to, you know, it used to be the joke, like we'll give you a toaster, right? Like the old the old joke was like, yeah, you sign up for an account, we'll give you a toaster. And like, it's that's that stuff doesn't impact the world, doesn't change you to get 10% off your next coffee. You can, if you have a bank account, you can probably pay the extra 40 cents for your drink, right? What you guys have done is allowed people to with very with little effort change the world. I mean, from from the I mean, the new card that you guys have for like your premium, what do you call it? Premium or plus or something like Aspiration Plus? Is that it? Yes, Aspiration yeah. Plus. The, the card, first of all, it's a beautiful card, but it's also made out of recycled plastic. Like down to the nitty-gritty, uh, every detail has been thought through. To just make it really simple, everybody's gotta use a card almost every single day, whether that's to buy something online or in person, right? You're, you have a, you need a bank account, you need a savings account, and what Aspiration has done has made it a thousand times easier to put your money to good use. And that is a huge and worthy endeavor. You guys say right on your website, we didn't set out to build a bank, we set out to build a better world, and that could mean more money in your pocket and more power to do good in your hands. That's right. It's amazing. Aspiration.com. 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 What do you guys do you have any like do you have any new stuff? Like, what's this all ramping up to? I mean, there's there's so much you guys are already doing. But how, first of all, how are you guys doing? I mean, I, I know you started by saying things are really good right now because people are swiping more than ever. And, you know, like different things are happening in this new, this new reality society, economy that we're living in. But like, how are you doing as a business? And what's kind of the big Long-term dreams. to just make what you're doing bigger, or are there other things you want to do to impact the world through this bank slash not bank aspiration?
0: Well, first of all, I want to see aspirations community plant one trillion trees over the next ten years. If we plant one trillion trees, we will meaningfully alter the curve of climate change. Period. This is the science is rock solid on this. If we go to plant a trillion trees you're going to meaningfully change the climate curve. And the Aspiration community can do that if we get big enough. And so one of the things that I think accelerates and motivates our growth is the more people invite their friends to join Aspiration, the closer we get to being able to deliver on that goal of planting one trillion trees in the next decade. The second thing is we want to make Aspiration the place where you can get all the financial products you need. So recently, Aspiration launched a life insurance policy. Life insurance,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Soon, Aspiration will be launching a credit card that also has this plant your change feature, where you can plant a tree with every time you use your card. And there'll be other products that are coming down later in
1: this year. Amazing. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to make sure we've still got more to talk about. But I want to make I'll, I want to make sure that everybody at least considers they might not do it. But everybody listening, at least go check out the website Aspiration.com.
0: Considers they should. There's no reason not to open an account. There, there really isn't. For, for but real. again, people are. There really isn't. I want to. Yeah. I want to kind of press hard on it. It's FDIC insured. So you have the same guaranteed protection on your money as if it's just FDIC insurance. It's all the same yeah, everywhere. Yeah, right. Um, and you get great financial features. There are no mandatory account fees. And then you can plant a tree every time you use your card. What's not to love?
1: Yeah, so that's that. that's a cool feature is that like you get to choose how much you give aspiration for running your account, right? So it can be yes. zero, it can be a dollar, it can be $10 a month. If you make a lot of money, bump that sucker up. Right. But, but still Please. it's the power is in your hands, uh, yes. customer consumer to what you want to pay them. If there's no hidden fees, the app works great. And I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to just like, you know, uh, toot your horn right now, but it really is a fantastic product. Look, um, I mean, some even-
0: people ask me, well, why Joe, you're always, you know, kind of telling folks about aspiration you're promoting it so much because I really believe it's the best. Yeah. You know, I, I would never, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at persuading people to do things that aren't truth, you know, that aren't really good for them. But the reason I feel so passionate about aspiration is like, it's really good for you and for the planet.
1: Yeah. It's wonderful. I love it. Um, it, You you mentioned a little while ago that your faith plays into all this, right? It permeates all of it. Tell me more if you can, if there's nothing more to say, that's fine. But I'm always interested to talk to people about their faith background, whether they have one or the lack thereof, right? Because for me, I just got off the I just got off the phone uh like an hour ago with uh, my book agent. We're working on a proposal right now for my first book and, you know, just figuring out, cause it it, it was up until about a year ago, a lot of my work, I'm just kind of giving some context here. A lot of my work for most of my career was in the Christian nonprofit space, right? Grew up a Christian kid, not the same flavor that I am now by like opposite ends of the spectrum, basically, but still a Christian kid. And then there were a few years, literally 2015, 16, 17, maybe into 18, when the whole I mean, I was already a frustrated Christian as it was, but then the Donald Trump thing came on the scene, right? Yeah. Where, you know, uh mostly and mainly uh white evangelical Christians were supporting him unabashedly, unequivocally, like we love this guy. He's our man. And so for a while, it wasn't in. I'm ashamed because all my work, everything I do, is 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 literally comes from my faith. Uh, and so, but so I wasn't ashamed of it. But I was like, I don't want people to know that I'm in the same family as them, right? And some people listening might even have a family member like that, where they're like, Yeah, yeah we don't talk about that brother, right? Or yeah, my parents Nick, are no, crazy. No
0: human, no human speaks for God.
1: Hundred you know? percent.
0: Um, so th- those. I think well, that's what's that's, beautiful it, about faith is that there's not a single individual who truly can bastardize real faith.
1: That's the, what they're,
0: they're, they're not projecting true Christianity.
1: No, that's so, you're a thousand percent correct. And that's what I, that's what the conclusion I came to. So, you know, for a while, again, it wasn't, I wasn't hiding it, but I wasn't identifying as like a Christian leader anymore. You know, I was ordained, I, did, I was a pastor for a while and I was no longer identifying it. Just to figure out like, are we going to weather this storm, Right. But it was very quick. I mean, again, it wasn't that, you know, a lot of my friends went through these kind of like uh deconstruction phases. Mine wasn't that wasn't that long because I was really in. Like I really was a person of faith and am a person of faith. So when I came back on the scene, I realized, no, 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 I've gotta, I've gotta talk about this more than ever. Yeah. Like I exactly. really do. I gotta talk about yes. more than ever because the, yes. the, the fewer of us that talk about our faith leaning or our faith like all in immersion. It gives them more room. It gives the others more room. It gives the you know the in my case the conservative Christians that are my counterparts like it gives them a bigger piece of the pie. And God is my witness, I don't want them to have that. And so I need I need to get louder about hey, this is not the faith that Jesus gave us. This is not the faith that God gave us. Um, And also. One thing, I because you're Jewish and I want you to talk about that, but like one thing that I have found in the last three years, especially it started with this podcast, right? I'm 130 some episodes in. I've talked with some amazing people, you know, people that don't have any faith at all, Christians, Baha'i, Muslims, like everybody in between. And I've met some of the most amazing humans ever through this uh, project and now my company. And one of the things that got me excited about my faith was I started thinking about, Okay, if Donald Trump gets in, and in being heaven, the afterlife, whatever whatever these conservative Christians are aiming for, right? If Donald Trump gets in, but my Muslim friends who love God and love their neighbor way better than my Christian friends or my Jewish friends or my Baha'i friends or who all these other people, if they don't get in, but Trump gets in, and Trump's just an example because he's a big public figure that identifies as Christian right now. Um, if he gets in and they don't, I don't want anything to do with it. That was kind of the the, the impetus for my deconstruction. And then I was like, no, 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 I, I don't know where Donald Trump ends up in this life or the, or the next, but I do know that, uh, that there is, that, that my faith is real and my faith means something. And it's, it's, it, it needs to be expressed now and in the afterlife. Like it needs to be expressed every single day from now until whatever happens. Cause I don't know what's going to happen, you know? So that's the key
0: thing is we don't know. And that's that's where faith helps us walk in the darkness. And ultimately, God judges. It's not our place to judge. I think um, this goes to all parts of the political spectrum. We really need to love one another. That doesn't mean we have to um, make all opinions equal. But we have to love the basic humanity of everyone and then leave it to God to judge. Yeah. For me, it's really important. You know, I'm Jewish, um, and my Jewish faith means to me that we're all created with meaning and purpose to do everything we can in our lives to heal the world. I believe that, that we as humans are, you know, are an extension of God's will to create the very best world that we can while we're around. And for everyone, that means something different, but I think for each of us, it means we have to figure out what our path is to try and help others who are in need.
1: Joe, do you think, based on what you just said, do you think, is it your belief that the world is getting, so, you know, our job is to make, is to love God, love our neighbor, make the world better, right? I mean, that's that's the call all throughout, really, no matter what scripture you read, right? Like it's it's there, it permeates it, right? And so do you think that the world is, getting better like do you think that yes but think, not fast enough but not fast enough okay so I, I like that answer and that's how I feel is I don't if you look at all of history right sometimes I have to take myself out of 2020 right and and think about think about the 1918 flu, the Spanish flu that we're comparing you know what's happening now to I mean right. millions of people right or you look at all through our history like we are the safest the wealthiest the healthiest that, that we've ever been and we're still so far from the mark. And so I love that tension of like, no, I think we are getting better. We're on an upward trajectory, but we have the capability, especially with technology and the money and the resources and the 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 intellect that we have, it should be like a this in my mind. If we were all in, if all of us were all in and we were doing things for not just for our good but for the good of everyone, it would be like this. And it is getting better, but it's like a this. You know, it's not this, not this, but it's this and it should be this because we have so much to work with right now. I mean, we're so we're such a it's such an amazing, blessed time to live, right? And um, we're not moving fast enough. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, as we wrap up here, I don't want you. Ever since my conversation with Joel last week, where he said, "I'm not going to give advice. That's stupid." Um, I, I need to figure out how to reframe these questions because I believe I'll I believe, give advice. Well, I
0: disagree. Yeah, I well, give
1: advice. So so let's 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 go. I, here's what I, here's what I want to do. The let's give a damn family. And I I understand where Joel's coming from because you're held to a higher standard when you give advice and when you give predictions, right? That was one of the things. It depends on
0: what kind of advice you give. If it's, if, if advice is a projection of your own insecurities onto others, that's bad. But if advice is something that's a universal truth in which we can all find insight, then I think that's really great.
1: Yeah. I love it. So the let's give a damn family we're mostly in North America, but we're in 50, 60 countries around the world, actually more now, right? And so there's listeners from all over the world. We're growing, we're growing in different ways. We got the podcast, we have social impact consulting. I do speaking and writing. We're working on local chapters right now. There'll be one will be one in LA soon. And so we got all these things going on. And these are people, young and old, uh, all genders, all races. It's just a really beautiful family. I'm so honored to be part of it. But we are constantly trying to figure out how to give a damn, right? And now we've got this added complication, not co- actually not complication, challenge. We have this added challenge that we're in a global pandemic. Surprisingly, and it shouldn't be surprising because these are amazing people, like the damn giving hasn't slowed down in a pandemic. I've got this for for Nashville for my group in Nashville. We got a bunch of people in a WhatsApp group, and we're talking about different ideas. And they're coming up with all these amazing ideas, all these wonderful ways to give a damn uh, about our fellow Nashvilleians while we're in a stay-at-home order, stay-at-home if you can, uh, wash your hands, wear masks. Pandemic, right? And so I, I'm, I'm, so in a pandemic, these are damn givers. Based on your life and career, all the things that you're building, all the things you're making, all the things you've learned, just give us some general uh, or or specific advice for how we can continue and not just continue, uh, but get better, right? Let's just, it's
0: real simple. We're commanded to try. We're commanded to try. So the advice is start, continue, don't give up. It's a different path for every single person. And where we either don't travel the path or we fall off it is by being overwhelmed by the uncertainty about whether we can complete the task. But, Here's the answer. We can't complete the task. Yeah. Not any single one of us, nor necessarily all of us collectively. Because perfection is the realm of the divine. What we can do is just get as close to it as we possibly can. One of my favorite MLK speeches is his unfulfilled dream speech, in which he says, one of the great agonies of life is we are constantly trying to finish that which is unfinishable. We are commanded to do that. so." We cannot achieve heaven on earth, and we're not commanded to do that. We're commanded to pursue it. So that's my advice. Start, continue, don't
1: give up. Start, continue, don't give up. It's fantastic on so many levels. One of the reasons I love it, that third part, the don't give up part. I see a lot of people starting stuff. We have a lot more resources. We have a lot more things, tools. People can create stuff for a lot less these days, right? Yeah. And so we have a lot of people starting stuff. We have very few people in the don't give up category because they fail once, three times, five times, seven times. And then they just say, well, fuck it. I'm out. Like, I can't do it. This was never meant to be. And what they don't realize and what I spend, I feel like I spend the majority of my life as a leader helping people realize, not just in their heart, not just in their head, but in their heart as well, that- We don't get, we are not privy to the knowledge of when our thing, whether it's aspiration or whether it's advocating for the EITC or whether it's any of the boards you sit on, any of the stuff you're doing as an investor, whatever, like you are not privy to whether or not any of that's going to be ultimately successful. You don't get to know that. You don't get to see past right now, this moment that we're having right now. But what does Joe do? Joe doesn't give up. And even if a number of those things fail, you keep going, like you keep going and you don't give up. And that's what I wanna see is more and more people. And I think this is a perfect time. This pandemic, I think, is gonna stretch and grow people in ways they've never experienced before. I really do. I'm seeing it already. I think- I totally agree with you. Some of the most amazing shit's gonna be built and created and dreamt of right now. And then as we come out of it, and even during it, but as we come out of it, People are going to just, it's, things are going to explode, like really cool projects and ideas and stuff are going to explode. And so I love the emphasis on the don't give up part. And I know that's, dude, that's so like cliche, right? Like that's on a million t-shirts, but so few people, well, get most, to, people give up. most people give up, so few people d- d- give up, uh, so few people actually embrace and like live by the don't give up uh, portion. And so that's what I'm constantly pushing people to do on this platform, in life, that's fantastic advice. Last question I have for you before we wrap up is someday you're gonna die. That's not hypothetical, that's very real. Hopefully it's many decades into the future. You're an incredible damn giver and I'm so excited to know you and to follow along with what you're doing, but someday you're gonna die. The hypothetical part is that I have been asked to give your eulogy. So in front of all of your family and friends, your coworkers, your business partners, everybody you've uh, affected in a positive way during your life, they're there to celebrate and mourn your life. And again, for some odd reason, I'm there giving your eulogy, eulogizing your life and legacy. What do you hope that I would say on that day about your life and legacy?
0: I hope you'll say, Joe Sandberg really tried to expend every ounce of creativity, heart, sweat and blood he could to help others. That'd be a wonderful legacy, man. It's so I it, think that's all you can hope for is that you try with everything you got. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's, that's the most I can be judged by is, did I really
1: try truly, sincerely, authentically with everything I had to help others? Did you ever, uh, on that note, because I totally agree. Did you ever have to go through, cause this is something that people do struggle with is fear, fear of the unknown. Did you ever have a time in your life where there was so much fear that it paralyzed you, or were you always just a trier, a doer, a go-getter? And if you did, and if you, and if you were fearful at one time, was there like a, was there a breaking point something, something I'm or something scared every day?:
0: what? Yeah, I'm scared every day. What I've learned about fear and executing at a really high level of competitiveness is that you don't deny fear, you acknowledge it and move forward. So every day I'm doing things that scare me because I'm stepping into the unknown and I don't deny the existence of that fear. I acknowledge it and move forward nonetheless. And the more I've studied and read about what other um, folks in different fields think about fear and how they interact with fear, I find a common denominator, which is, you know, you find some folks in pop culture will say, Oh, you know, no fear, no fear. That's bullshit. The champions recognize fear, Always in every moment, but just just then move on uh, despite it.
1: I love that. That's a great, that's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, the champions recognize the fear, but aren't paralyzed by it. They move, they Correct. Move on. Joe Sandberg, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. I know the Let's Give a Damn family will benefit a ton. Uh, yeah, we're proud of you and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for what you're doing. <laughs> Friends, it's Earth Day. We've said that so many times. I wanted to say it again. Do something today and every day to love and take care of your home, this planet. You only have one. And seriously, you need to get a bank account with Aspiration. As Joe pointed out at the end, there's no reason not to. Find out more about who they are, what they do, and to sign up at Aspiration.com. Please follow them on Twitter and Instagram at aspiration. And follow Joe on Twitter and Instagram everywhere. You'll be encouraged and challenged by what he puts out there into the world. Joseph N. Sandberg on Twitter and Joe Sandberg on Instagram. As always, you can find Let's Give a Damn on all the socials at Let's Give a Damn. You can find me on all those socials at Nick LaPara. And please hit me up, hello at letsgiveadam.com. If you need anything at all, if you have any ideas or thoughts you wanted to share with me, or if you have any ideas for how you and I can partner together, I'm all ears. This show was created by me, produced by Chad Snavely. The music is by our friend Propaganda. We're part of the Matter Media family and we're grateful for their partnership. Please share this episode with a friend or two or 10 today. Also, leave us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. There are so many people that are listening that have never done that. So take 30 seconds, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. It's so quick, so easy, helps us a ton. I can't wait to spend time with you next week. Sending so much love and light and peace to each one of you. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.